Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night. Welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. So uh, this evening, God willing, we'll cover Psalms 80, 81, and 82. And then after uh, this evening, we're going to take a break. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have a study next week or not. If, it, if we do have a study next week, it'll be a, a live Q&A. So we'll either do that next week or, God willing, on October 14th when we resume after the feast. So this will be the last actual study uh, between now and October 14th. Um, I will be doing um, a, a, a book during the feast. I'm going to cover the book of Ephesians uh, during the feast. So I'm just going to be uh, covering that every morning and just putting it into the archive. So you'll get a notice that I'm going live, but I don't expect everybody to be there live. Uh, but hopefully you'll be able to check out the archive. And as I mentioned, that will be the book of Ephesians. Um, that's it. Uh, so let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into, I hope you all had a great Feast of Trumpets and you're getting ready for Sabbath and then the Feast of Atonement and then off for the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. It's just wonderful that we're now in this fall Holy Day season. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Almighty, we come before you as the God of Jacob and we just thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for Israel and all that you have done for us as the first fruits Israel. We thank you, Lord. You're truly, you are good to Israel. You're good to us, Father. Uh, help us, Father, to be good to you. Help us to be a blessing to you and your people and ultimately the whole world. We thank you for these ancient words. We thank you, Father, for how they're able to transform us. And we just pray, God, for help in understanding these texts and understanding them in their entirety. Uh, we know that it's a lifetime study, but we do pray, God, for increasing understanding each day and, and greater wisdom and greater righteousness that we would conform ultimately to Christ. Thank you, Lord. We ask this blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, brethren, we are uh, Psalm 80. Last week we did Psalm 78. Remember, that was the long historical psalm. And prior to that, we, we had covered Psalm 79. So we're up to Psalm 80 now. And let's go ahead and begin to study this together. Psalm 80. To the chief musician upon Soshanimeduth, a psalm of Asaph. So again, Asaph is one of these worshippers of God, a leading man at the time, and a very wise man. And all of these psalms that we've been covering, uh, most of the psalms are written by David. Uh, there's a couple by Moses. This is, uh, these are psalms by Asaph, uh, and this is to do with uh, a teaching wisdom psalms. He says here, Psalm 80, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. So he acknowledges God, as the shepherd of Israel, something that Jesus Christ called himself uh, when he was on her earth, saying that he was the good shepherd, and he is the shepherd of Israel. You that leads Joseph like a flock, you that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. So there is this acknowledgement that this is a very caring, loving God leading his sheepfold as a good shepherd. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. So it goes from calling it Israel to Joseph 
to now the tribes of Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. And certainly these were the northern tribes. And he says, stir up your strength and come and save us. So clearly something has happened and the tribes are in trouble. And they recognize that only God, the shepherd of Israel, can save them. Turn us again, O God, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. So clearly they're in trouble, and they're in a state now where they have recognized that no one else can help them except the God of Israel, and they're turning to him. And this is something that Moses said would have to happen before God helps them, before God saves them. Christ himself said the same thing, that they won't see him again until they acknowledge him. So here they're acknowledging the God of Israel and asking for him to cause his face to shine, and that's the only way that they'll be saved. They'll say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and he will come shining like the sun. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? I find this verse chilling. Chilling not just for ancient Israel, but for first fruits Israel, for the church. That just because we pray, just because we keep the Feast of Trumpets that we've just observed, and we keep the fall holy days, we keep the Sabbaths, uh, that doesn't, we think because we do these things that we're right with God. And ancient Israel saw this, saw, thought the same thing. When we studied the book of Judges, they were keeping these days, they, they were doing what was right in their eyes. And yet, God was angry against their prayers. And it begs the question, is God angry against our prayers? And uh, if you were with us on trumpets, I gave the sermon, The Great Exchange. And that we are in a period now heading towards this great exchange. That the prophetic word has gone forth. That there will, there will be a great apostasy that the Gentile church will apostatize. And at the same time, the prophetic word has gone forth that the natural-born Jews will be grafted back into their own olive tree. So this is not a time for arrogance. This is not a time for self-righteousness. This is not a time to be complacent or presumptuous in our sins, that, that, that people think that they can sin, Blatantly, oh, I'll just repent. He says, he, how long, the, the, Asaf understands, the people are praying, and God is angry against their prayer. Let's humble ourselves, brethren. Let, let's not be afraid to hear about the anger of God. Let's not be, be uh, those kind of people that say, we don't want to hear these rough things. Speak smooth things to us. Well, that's a dangerous path. You, you don't love us because you only speak rough things. Uh, no, God loves you, and he speaks rough things, and the faithful in God are going to pass on the words of the Holy One of Israel. You, you God, you do this. You feed them with the bread of tears. When we were reading uh, the book of Isaiah, we saw that Isaiah said, or God said through Isaiah, that I create evil. I'm the one who brings calamity upon this people. And here, Asaf realizes, God feeds them with the bread of tears. That's all they're filled with, is sorrow upon sorrow. 
and give them tears to drink in great measure. This, this is horrible. This is great suffering upon the people. And God is the author of it. God is the source of it. You make us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. And so certainly this is historic. It is also prophetic. That in the great tribulation, armies will surround Jerusalem, and they will make it desolate. And all the cities of Judah will be made a desolation. And all these neighboring tribes will be laughing. These are the people that say God God is their God. And they'll mock them and laugh at them and speak great blasphemies. You make us a strife unto our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, again, the plea again. Turn us again, O God of hosts. We need to understand that God is the Lord of hosts. He's the God of hosts. He's the God of armies. The great, the God of Israel is a warrior. And it says in Matthew 24 that we shall be hated by all nations for his name's sake. And he says, my name is the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel. So he's coming to fight for Israel. He's coming to fight for Judah. Zechariah 12. Turn us again, O Lord, O God of hosts, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Again, he repeats this. And shall return to the Lord your God. Oh, sorry, this is now Deuteronomy 30. So this is Moses uh, saying the exact same thing. This is what we see in Psalm 80, the repentance we're seeing in Psalm 80, penned by Asif, is the very thing that Moses said would have to happen. That when they go into the promised land, they would be torn out of the land because of their unrighteousness. But once they're scattered and humbled and turn to God with their whole heart, they'll be brought back. Moses writes, And you shall return unto the Lord your God, and you shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. So everything that's in the Torah, when they return, they will now live by the Torah. You and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that then, when this happens... This, and this is what the Great Tribulation will bring about. I said on, on Sabbath, on trumpets, that the Great Tribulation, we could call it the Great Redemption, right here. This is what it is. That when this finally happens, that then the Lord your God will end your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So that's the sort of repentance that we're seeing here in Psalm 80. And, and the Psalms are going to teach the Jews how to pray. They're going to teach the Jews how to reach out, how to be right with God. And certainly us as the first fruits, the spiritual Jews, we're learning this as well from the Psalms. Verse 8, Psalm 80. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. So first, it was a flock. So the metaphor was God is the shepherd and Israel is the flock. Now the metaphor shifts to a vine. And, and God is the husbandman as Christ teaches us in John 15. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. And that's exactly how Israel began as slaves that were redeemed out of Israel, out of Egypt. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the heathen and planted it, planted the vine. This is what God has done. You prepared room before it, and it caused it to take deep root 
and it filled the land. This is how this is how God was so caring for Israel. So we see all these psalms beforehand, Psalm 77, 78, 79, coming up to Psalm 80. We see uh, the history of Israel. We see how God has been good to Israel. But we see Israel in, in dilemma, in catastrophe, crying out to God and asking for God's help. And now we're seeing the other side of the story, all the things that God has actually done for Israel. He prepared room before this vine and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the bows thereof were like the goodly cedars. And this is what God wanted for this nation to be a peculiar nation and to be the head nation that all other nations would flow to it. And so God was setting them up for success. She sent out her bows unto the sea and her branches unto the river. Why have you then broken down her hedges? This is confusing. You, you set her up for success, and then you broke her down. Why did you do that, God? Why have you then broken down her hedges so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? She, she was supposed to be the head nation, and now she's a mockery. Now she's a, a, a proverb, a byword. And people laugh at her. Well, if we're using this metaphor of the vine, we have the benefit of going to Isaiah to to find the answer to this question. Why did God set her up for success and then allow her such great humiliation? Well, remember when we studied Isaiah, we actually touched on this. And we will, God willing, be returning to Isaiah. We did the back half, the second Isaiah. We'll do the first half, God willing, soon. But Isaiah 5 and verse 1, he writes... Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. You see, there's great expectation for this vineyard. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes, or poisonous grapes, or rotten grapes. There was such great expectation. And it did not, it produced the opposite. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild or poisonous grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, so that protection that was around it. And it shall be eaten up. So all the beasts now can come in and devour it. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clowns, the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. So God is bringing this calamity. God is bringing this catastrophe upon Judah. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. So this is a metaphor, but... There's no other nation that God considers his vineyard, only Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, 
but behold oppression. And that's exactly what we saw in Habakkuk. When Habakkuk is crying out to God and saying, why do you show me this oppression? And you're not doing anything about it. And God says, excuse me, Habakkuk, I am doing something about it. And your ears are going to ring when you find out. And you won't even believe what I'm going to do, even though I will tell you what I'm going to do. So this, so the, the exact, these people produce the exact opposite of what God was looking for. I looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. That is, the oppressed are crying out. So back to Psalm 80. So this vineyard, that, that's the answer to the question. You know, why, why have you abandoned us? Because you abandoned God. God didn't abandon you. You abandoned him. The boar out of the wood does waste it, and the wild beast of the field does devour it. And that again, we can turn to Isaiah to to, to substantiate this. In Isaiah 56 and verse 9, the prophet writes, All you beasts of the field, come to devour. Yes, all you beasts in the forest. Why? His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. I would hate. I just can't imagine being appointed a watchman and then standing before Christ and having Christ say to me, you are blind, you were ignorant, you were a dumb dog, you couldn't bark when I needed you to bark, you didn't bark. You just kept sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. <laughs> I hope, I, you know, people may accuse me of many things. I hope they never have the ability to accuse me of this. That I was a watchman and I looked the other way and I did not cry out. And because when I cried out, the people complained, I, I, then I just decided to go back to sleep. No way. When we see the beasts coming, when we see the danger, we cry out. We cry out and we say, the sword is upon the land. Repent. And get right with God, because the season has changed. We're coming into a new season now, and, and in this season, things are going to start to happen very, very fast. It's going to accelerate. And if you're not ready, you're going to be caught off guard. Get right with God. But these watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber, thinking they're doing a good thing, thinking that God is happy with their worship. Psalm 80, verse 14. Return, we're begging you, O God of hosts, knowing that this is a God of armies, that when he comes to save, his victory will be final. We beg you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. This is his only vine. This is the vine that is to bear fruit for the whole earth. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. And the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself, it is burned with fire. It is cut down. Again, these words are prophetic. This is what's coming. This is what's around the corner. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man who you made strong for yourself. This is Israel. So will not we go back from you? So in this way, we'll never turn away from you again. 
quicken us, and we will call upon your name. Yes, they will indeed. Yes, they will indeed. They'll finally realize who their Savior is, and they will declare, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Quicken us, and we will call upon your name. And that's what Moses prophesied would happen. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. So this constant refrain, this understanding that their salvation depends entirely, wholly and entirely, upon the Lord of hosts. That it's up to him. It's when he turns towards them. That's the only way they'll be saved. Nothing else. Nothing else will save them. So that is Psalm 80. And from that, we just realize this this intimacy between God and Israel has been broken. It's been violated, not by God, but by Israel. God did everything he could to set them up for success, to ensure that they would be that city on the hill that all nations would look toward. But they violated the covenant. They turned away from him. And yet God does not turn away from the covenant. Psalm 81 to the chief musician upon Gittith, another psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. And that is the only God. The creator is the God of Jacob. There is no other God. No other true God. The highest God is the God of Jacob. Sing aloud. So there's joy now. Now we have joyfulness. And there will be singing in the streets of Jerusalem after all the desolation. But here we see, sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring here the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon, in the time appointed on our solemn feast date, feast day. For this was a statue for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. We've just, ha- we've just had this. We just celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. And for thousands of years, this is what God's people have been doing. On, on the new moon, we blow the trumpet in the time appointed. There's a specific time that we blow this trumpet. And this is a statute. And I know some of the Jews say, oh, you can't blow the shofar on, on the Sabbath. So when trumpets falls on the Shabbat, they overrule God's word and say you cannot blow, blow the trumpet. The scripture says, blow the trumpet in the new moon. And it says it's a law of Jacob. It's a law of the God of Jacob and referring here to Leviticus. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, the new moon, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So this is a great celebration, and, and it's very likely that this is the feast that, the, that Asaph is referring to, as it is a, a law in Israel that they blow the trumpets on the first day of the seventh month to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Psalm 81, verse 5. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony. When he went out through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I understood not. So when he brought them out of Egypt, and this was in the Passover season now, so it could be a trumpet during the Passover period, this he ordained in Joseph for a testimony. And this is something that they should be declaring to their children and their children's children for many generations and to the rest of the world. 
when he went out through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. And so Joseph came into Egypt, and uh, Joseph being the tribe, and they didn't understand this language. And so here in Genesis uh, 42 and verse 8, when uh, Joseph was second in command in, in Egypt, and his brothers, uh, and ultimately his father, and all his brethren came into Egypt because of the famine. But when the brothers came, in verse 8 of Genesis 42, Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not know him. And, and the reason they didn't know him is he was speaking to them through a translator, through an interpreter. So it was a language that they, did, they didn't understand his language. So he had to speak to them through an interpreter. Uh, and so the scripture says here of Joseph, speaking of the people of Joseph, Joseph, uh, which really is symbolic for all of Israel, that uh, they heard a language there that they did not understand as they came into Egypt. Verse 6, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. So now we're seeing God's perspective on the relationship. So up to now, we've seen Israel's uh, perspective. They're suffering. They're calling out to God. God, why aren't you answering? Why are you angry with us? Come on, God, 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 God. Act, act, act. Come on, help us. God is now saying, well, wait a minute. Try to look at this from my perspective. Look what I've done for you. Look how I've set you up as, a, as, 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 as my vine. I, I did everything I could for this vineyard. What more could I do? Let's go to judgment and see if there's anything more that I could do for this vineyard. Because I did everything. And yet they gave me poisonous grapes. And here God is saying, look, you were in trouble. You were in slavery. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Mirabah, Selah. And this uh, is referring to this period here in Numbers 20 that Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. So this miracle of the water, of God giving them the water, it happened in Meribah. And unfortunately for, for Moses, it meant that he couldn't go into the promised land. But God did everything he could for this nation. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall no strange God be in you, neither shall you worship any strange God. This is Exodus 20. This was the, the covenant agreement that they said, yes, everything the Lord has said, we will do. They agreed to this. And yet they did the exact opposite. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. So this is how this nation was established. They were nothing. They were slaves. They were absolutely at the bottom. And God delivered them and established them as a nation. I'm the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people wouldn't hearken to my voice. And Israel, think of the pain of this. Israel would have none of me. Israel wanted nothing to do with me. And in a way, we see that again today when we speak the words of God. People are like, don't preach that. We, we, we want smooth things. We, we don't want that. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Now, this is the same thing as ancient Israel. They didn't want God. God did everything for them as a loving husband, as a husbandman, as a good shepherd, as a father. He did everything for them. And yet they didn't want anything to do with him. My people wouldn't listen to my voice, and they didn't want anything to do with me. 
This is what God is saying. Like you're 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 blaming me. You're you're saying I, why aren't I doing something for you? I did everything for you, and you wanted nothing to do with me. This is the reality. In fact, Isaiah again. We turn to the prophet Isaiah, and he says in verse two of Isaiah one, "Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken." And what did the Lord say? I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. You you can actually hear the pain in God's voice. I I did everything for these people, and they spit in my face. They want nothing to do with me. And I, I had this vision of this relationship with them, and they want nothing to do with me. Psalm 81 and verse 12. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust, And they walked in their own counsels. I wonder if that could be said about the church today. That we don't care about the Torah. We don't care about God's word. We don't care what elders, uh, faithful elders might teach us about what God's word says. We want to do our own thing. We want to have our own counsel. We will find people who will counsel us according to what we want. Is that possible? Could that happen today? In first fruits Israel, if it happened in ancient Israel, well, the scripture says these things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come so that we should not lust after evil things. Why would that scripture be written if it was impossible for first fruits Israel to behave like ancient Israel? The very fact that that scripture is in the text and the scripture cannot be broken the fact that that scripture is, is part of the canon means that there's a very real possibility that in the end time, first fruits Israel will be pursuing their own lusts. That there'll be a great apostasy before the coming of the Lord. We need to be careful. He says of ancient Israel, they didn't want me. I tried, I, you know, I sent them prophets rising early in the morning. To warn them, and they didn't listen. In fact, they killed those prophets. And Christ says of the end time, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Because that's how they spoke about the false prophets. And then he says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when all men speak evil of you falsely. Because that's how they treated the true prophets. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So there is going to be a contention in the end time just as there was anciently. So God gives them up to their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people, if only my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. And you get a sense here, if you read between the lines, what could have been, what God had in mind, the vision that God had as he set up his vineyard, the vision he had as he established his children. And we, we, we like talking, you know, sin is missing the mark. Talk about missing the mark. It's like, you know, the plane took off from Toronto, heading to London, England, and it ended up in, I don't know, Abu Dhabi. <laughs> you know, ended, ended up some other place. Complete, not even close. This is, this is what you kind of read here between the lines. If only my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. And you hear when God was on earth, when Christ was on earth, he, he had the same sentiment. It's the same God. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jeru-. you can hear the pain. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
you that kill the prophets, you want nothing to do with me. And you stone them which are sent unto you. Woe unto you, and all men speak well of you, because the true prophets were stoned. How often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you wanted nothing to do with me. And so, the beasts of the forest are going to come and devour you. And it it didn't have to be this way. In fact, I had a complete opposite vision in mind for you. Psalm 81, verse 14. I, I, I would have, I should have soon subdued their enemies. That's what I would have done. I would have gathered them under my wings and turned my hand against their adversaries. That's what I would have done. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him. And the haters of the Lord, this is a really interesting verse. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him. But their time, and then their time should have endured forever. Who are these haters of the Lord? It's Israel. God has brought up children, and they've turned their back on him. They want nothing to do with him. They hate him. The haters of the Lord, he, he confronted them when he was on earth, and they hated him. So the haters of the Lord are God's own people. And they, if only they had submitted themselves to him, and then their time should have endured forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock would I have satisfied you. So you just get a, a sense from Psalm 81 verse 16, what could have been. And how this nation could have been established in a way that human beings all over the earth would be wondering, how is this possible? Who is their God? And can we know this God? And this, this, this was the vision that God had, but they wanted nothing to do with him. And so it was a completely different, calamitous outcome. But it wasn't the end of the covenant. In fact, it was the covenant. The fact that they have been subjected to this fierce oppression does not mean the covenant is broken. It means the covenant is very much activated. It's just the curse clauses instead. Last psalm we'll cover tonight, Psalm 82. And I think this is a very difficult psalm in ways. Let's read it together and you'll see what I mean. It's another psalm of Asaph. God, Elohim, stands in the congregation of the mighty, he judges among the gods. So there's more than one God here. Elohim. He judges among the Elohim. Now, who are these Elohim? In Daniel 4 and verse 16, Daniel writes of Nebuchadnezzar, Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him. So this was the judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar. And then in verse 17, Daniel says, This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones. So there's some sort of judgment that is taking place by beings that are called the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets over up over it the basest of men. So this wasn't God's judgment. This was a judgment of the Holy Ones against Nebuchadnezzar to the intent 
that everybody alive would know that it's the Most High that rules in the kingdom of men. In Job, in verse 6 of chapter 1, we read that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So there is some sort of congregation in the heavens with the sons of God, the angels. And Satan and the demons clearly had access as well. In Second Chronicles 18 and verse 14, this is the passage regarding Micaiah the prophet, but it says here, And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And he said, go you up and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hands. So yes, so you want to know my opinion? You want to, you want to go up against uh, them? Go ahead. Yeah, go and, go and do the battle. And the king said to him, how many times shall I command you that you say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? Okay, so you really want, you really want to know? Then he said, I did see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return, therefore, every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, that's the king of Judah, Didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good unto me, but evil? Again he said, Micaiah speaks, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw that this is what Micaiah saw. So Micaiah had this vision. He's got access to see this. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. So this is a magnificent vision that, that Micaiah saw. God is seated on his throne, but there's a whole host in heaven surrounding him. And the Lord said, so it's like some sort of council, a congregation, and God is speaking to this council, and he's saying, Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramath-Gilead? So God is done with Ahab. God is watching very carefully over this nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, and the evil of Ahab has come up before him, and now he's, he's done with Ahab. He wants to kill Ahab. So he's asking the council, who is going to help bring this to pass so that Ahab dies at Ramoth-Gilead? And one spoke saying after this manner and another saying after that manner. So this is happening in heaven among these beings. And they're saying, well, I could do this and well, I could do that. And God is listening and say, okay, and what's your idea? And what, what would you do? And this council is taking place. Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall entice him and you shall also prevail. Go out and do even so. So there was this council in heaven among the gods. Of course, there's the most high God, but there's these other gods as well. And they're going back and forth as to how the affairs of earth should be carried out. And God intends to bring calamity on this king. And, and this one of these spirits comes forth and says, okay, this is what I'll do. And God says, okay, go ahead. Yeah, that, you do that. I'll allow that. And he does it through the false prophets. So when we have false prophets and Christ warns us, we'll have many false prophets in the end time.
So that means there will be the spirit of Antichrist working through these false prophets, and they will not adhere nor teach from the word of God. Back to Psalm 82, verse 2. So he says now to these gods, How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. So it's really because of, um, if we read now Psalm 82 and verse 1, that God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. So something is happening here that we could argue that the gods are men. They're judges. But (laughs) these are Elohim. And we see that there are councils that are are comprised with the the sons of God, the angels. And so now we come to verse 2, where he says, How long to this council will you judge unjustly? And accept the persons of the wicked. So I, I think this is still speaking of the angelic realm. And, and, you know, the humans can be judging unjustly, but they're being influenced by the angelic realm. Just as you saw that Ahab, a king who rendered his judgments, was being influenced by this angelic or even demonic realm. And we just had a, a judge in America, a judge of the Supreme Court, uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg die, uh, a great judge of the land, who's responsible single-handedly for the deaths of tens of millions of babies, unborn, tens of millions of souls who never got to see the light of day, with her judgments. Where do these judgments come from? Is it possible that there are judgments in the spiritual realm among the principalities and powers who then influence these human beings, just as we read, Micaiah had this, this vision to kind of see into the spiritual realm and see how the, there, there are beings in the spiritual realm that can influence the judgments of the human realm. So when God asks, how long will you judge unjustly and accept or work with the persons of the wicked? Selah. We pause and we think about that. What God wants from judgment, defend the poor and fatherless. And when Christ comes, that's what he's going to do. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. And we see that in Ephesians 2, that the whole earth, the human beings not in Christ, are under the influence of this spiritual realm, this dark spiritual realm. And we see that today, like this, just the whole earth is out of course, rioting and looting and uh, um, praising, holding up it with heroic status, very evil men, men of no character, are being held up as, as great champions of freedom. And there's zero character there. And even Christians are getting caught up in this. And then you take men who spend their whole lives trying to be right with God, and they're denigrated. Even among Christians, Christians will denigrate these men and uphold men of zero character. The whole earth is out of course. All the foundations of the earth are out of course because of this 
influence from the dark spiritual realm, as we saw with Micaiah and Ahab, what he saw with Ahab. Now, this is a a puzzling verse. I have said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. So, if I were just to read this psalm now, uh, without the benefit of the New Testament, it would just be very clear that we're dealing with the spiritual realm here. That there are gods, but there's the Most High God. There's Elohim, plural, but there's the Most High God who's above all of these. He's higher than all of them, and his judgment is true. He's the highest of all these. And we see in their counsel that they do gather, but this is the highest God. And yet, somehow it pivots into the human realm. And this way, you think of the scripture that says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So there's stuff happening with the principalities and powers that is manifesting itself in the human realm. And so there's this interplay between the spiritual world and the human world. But the scripture says, I have said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. So the angels are referred to as children of the Most High, but so are human beings, so is Israel. Now, this verse is quoted by Christ when he was on earth. And he says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone you not, but for blasphemy. And because that you, being a man, makes yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. Quoting Psalm 82. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say you of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, you blaspheme, because I say I am the Son of God? So Christ used Psalm 82 to argue that he is not blaspheming, that the very text says you are gods. And so clearly the text has shifted now uh, into the human realm. And Christ is saying, well, if the text says this and it cannot be broken, are, are you going to say that I, God, God who sanctified me and sent me into the world because I say I'm the son of God, I'm blaspheming? So very, very interesting treatment of the text. But here in verse 7 now of Psalm 82, that even, and this is why I think it's really still speaking of the angelic realm, but it, it kind of pivots between the human and the angelic. He says, you are gods, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So there's these Elohim who are making these judgments and influencing the affairs of mankind and not acting with any sort of righteousness not, not supporting the afflicted and the fatherless, but instead influencing people, people like this judge uh, that just died, RGB, to kill tens of millions of souls. And you see the people, just, they're, just, they're just beside themselves that her policies must continue because we must have the right to continue to make these human sacrifices. But here, these angels will die like men. And in Jude 6, he says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So these angels are going to be judged. 
And in fact, in uh, I think it's Second uh, Corinthians six or First Corinthians. I think it's Second Corinthians six. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, "You shall judge angels." So these Elohim, these sons of God, this angelic realm will come in, into judgment, and and it's very people of God who will be brought into the God family higher than angels will be judging these angels. And here in Jeremiah 10 and verse 10, the prophet Jeremiah says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Stay tuned, that's what's coming. Thus shall you say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, so there are gods, but they haven't made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. So these gods that, they have, they're, they're gods, but they, they're not creators. But even they shall perish from the earth under these heavens. In Ezekiel 28 and verse 16, Ezekiel writes regarding Satan himself, By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast you as a profane, as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy you. This is the text. It cannot be broken. So, yeah, you're mighty, you're powerful, but you're going to die like men. These angels will be judged. They will be destroyed. Satan himself, he says, I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And then the psalm ends, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. And we will see all nations flowing to Jerusalem and acknowledging the God of Jacob and acknowledging the people of Jacob as the only way that, that they, they can learn the law of God. So this uh, Asif concludes by saying that God must finally judge the earth. But very interesting when I look at this psalm, the, the interplay uh, between the human realm and the spirit realm. And I, and I think, again, if you think of that scripture, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. So flesh and blood is manifesting itself to us, but we really have to be able to see uh, beyond the flesh and blood to, to understand then that there's more there's more to it than what we see with our eyes uh, there is this, this, this spiritual realm but God is going to judge both and he expects good judgment righteous judgment and that's what we should be exercising today can we refer to the scriptures and make our judgments based on the scriptures and not just based on our imagination so that uh, takes us up to Psalm number 82. Um, we will not be covering any new Psalms um, next week, but I just got confirmation from uh, Pastor Murray. So what we'll do, I'm not sure how long we'll be on, but we will come on next week, and uh, let's have a discussion. Uh, go back over the Psalms that we've covered so far, and uh, any questions you have about these Psalms or any of the other texts that we've covered, we're happy to uh, discuss those live. You can post your questions, and uh, we'll answer your questions on YouTube, on Facebook, and on cgi.online.church. So with that, brethren, we'll uh, say goodnight. Uh, God bless you. We hope you had a wonderful Feast of Trumpets. We're now heading towards the Sabbath and then the Feast of Atonement. 
And then, God willing, we'll see you next week. So have a great Sabbath, a great fast, and God willing, we'll see you next week. Jesus Christ is Lord. We give him thanks. We give him praise. We praise his holy name. He is the Most High. Praise God for for Jesus Christ and, and God the Father. Amen.